This is Sophie Wilson. You are listening to the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. Welcome to episode 69 of the Slow Boat Sailing Podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about uh, my passage notes from uh, Horn Island, Thursday Island, Torres Strait, Australia, uh, in the Indian Ocean, uh, in the Arafura Sea, crossing the Gulf of Carpentaria, uh, crossing into the Beagle Gulf, and the fearsome Van Diemen Gulf, uh, and uh, all the stops in between. And then I'll talk about Darwin. Uh, I'm in Darwin right now. Uh, That's the last stop of this season of the slow boat. This is season five, I think, uh, after the two COVID years. And we'll start with the the offshore passage uh, out of Horn Island across the Gulf of Carpentaria. We're going to continue uh, the reading of Slow Boat to Cuba, the audiobook, probably in probably the next episode. Uh, but in this July 2022 episode, I think we're just going to talk about my passage notes and my reflections on the uh, Australian sailing season from Cairns to Darwin, Australia. Okay, so I was in Horn Island. Uh, I departed there. The, the thing was I had like nine days until Jana was going to arrive, maybe ten days if you count the day she arrived. Uh, so I really was running out of time for a weather window, so I didn't really look that closely. Now, you know, it's more Force 5 in this part of the world uh, this time of year. Uh, so that's you're looking at the 20 to 25 knot range with gusts up to 30 uh, and that's, you know, that's kind of what I experienced. Gulf of Car- the first day was quite nice, I think. Um, uh, you know, uh, I guess the uh, Australian border force was bored. So I sailed out. It was quite nice. It was a lot easier picking up the anchor than I thought it was going to be. It was a, a, a nicer downwind sail out of the, the islands of the Torres Strait, um, until we get to this lighthouse and and then you know it was a little it was a little rough in at the beginning it was just a little sloppy but not much wind to be honest not a ten of wind that first uh, uh afternoon that i left uh but the the border force in their coast guard like boat uh came out from nowhere to to uh, come up right beside me. I hailed them because I was like, you know, either that or they're going to board me anytime soon. And so I had called the, I had told the border force personally that I was going to Darwin very soon. I gave them my timeline, I don't even believe. Uh, And then uh, the, but I guess they had nothing going on that, I think it was maybe a Sunday. Uh, And then, so they just like motor all the way out and you know it's like three foot waves kind of choppy i'm sure like if you're in that little boat that they're in uh that little motor boat it would have been a little you would have wished you had uh scopolamine like i did a seasickness medication but i was going fine i said i was doing okay and they, they were happy with that and that was it and i think maybe i saw Three or four boats. I think the in the Gulf of Carpentaria, which was like a three-day passage, it was like 340 miles to, from the Gulf of Carpentaria over the top, right? So 
uh, I mean, like, uh, the Cape York Peninsula is the northernmost point, but there's also this Cape Wessel, uh, which is just north of Marchinbar Island, uh, and that's about three days, 340 miles, something like that, nautical miles, uh, to go over the top. I, I decided not to go into Go because I just didn't think I had enough time, but I also thought it would be really difficult navigating the weird angles. I mean, you know, in retrospect, it might have been better in the Arafura Sea to kind of go into Gove and then go south of those islands, but then you have like a lot of current you're dealing with, uh, and then then at least have less of a fetch uh, for, for the Arafura Sea. It's not like I was hundreds and hundreds of miles out. It was just, I was like, I was hundreds of miles out, but not thousands of miles out. So I wasn't, you know, compared to what you'd been doing in the Pacific Ocean, it's not really amount of fetch that you think about. But you think of all the, the waters that I was in, like, it was kind of maximum 200-foot depths. I don't think there were many places deeper than 200 feet. So I guess they could have been choppy. Very much like the Gulf of Mexico, right? So if there's a lot of fetch in the Gulf of Mexico, it could be kind of choppy. And it, and it was. And so, like, on day, I think there was, like, one day I had to maneuver around a Russian oil tanker. Um, Russian oil tankers all over Australia, by the way. Uh, and then, and then uh, didn't see many boats after that. Uh, you know, after I got to uh, Marching Bar Island after three days. So Marching Bar Island, I anchored. Because I was solo sailing, I was like, okay, I'm going to sleep that day, and then I'm going to go the next day. And um, there was, to my surprise, there was a motor vessel there. I think it was Wild Cards, which was a which was a dive boat. It was like a dive boat tour boat. I'm sure they, you know, it looked like it had capacity for, it was like kind of a mini cruise ship with like had a capacity maybe for 20 people. There were, there were people on the dinghies. Uh, out by a reef nearby and while I was going into anchor uh, there. And that, that was shocking to me that there was another boat in that anchorage um, that we were just so far from civilization. I think there might be a town like midway between Marching Bar Island and, and Darwin, but that's it. I mean, there's really no other towns. And that town is probably like, a few hundred people. Darwin maybe is greater. Darwin is over a hundred thousand. I don't know. Darwin to me seems like a third of the size of Cairns, and Cairns seemed about the size of my town in in little town in Louisiana, Lafayette, Louisiana. But it is what it is, and, and so most of Australia's northern coastline has no people whatsoever. You know, they say it's like Aboriginal land, but I don't know how many Aboriginals are actually there. I didn't see any. Um, they don't bother to build uh, paved roads to Aboriginal lands. So I don't know. It's hard to say. I think I got an estimate that like, okay, Australia is 25 million, 21 million. And Aboriginals are, are closer to 1 million. Of the population, maybe 750,000. I don't know. Uh, but 
I don't, I mean, for all intents and purposes, I would say that the coastline I was going across was uninhabited, although I was typically, you know, two to three hundred miles offshore of the coastline. So, I, uh, Marchand Bar Island, uh, and I was warned by this by my weather routers, um, I want to I say thanks to uh, Met Bob, who's on the podcast. I think he was kind of more into the weather routing than Chris Parker was. Like, Chris Parker was like, you're going to do this passage in four days. Didn't listen to me when, that I was going to anchor at Mark and Bar and probably someplace else. Um, and anyways, it was like a totally worthless forecast. But they both did say that... Um, that there was a front like at 135 east and what does that mean i don't you know it didn't really mean higher winds but boy did it mean endless rain and so it was just endless rain in markenbar island i was it was raining as i anchored when i left the next day it was like pouring down you know i was totally soaked um and it just did not stop for a day so like on the third day crossing the Gulf of Carpentaria before Marchand Bar, I was like, oh man, this, you know, we've got waves boarding on the beam, right? We're mostly beam reaching right now, uh, you know, maybe slightly broad reaching, but it's mostly on the beam and the, the waves are like every half hour, there's a, there's a boarding wave. I had a wave uh, on Gulf of Carpentaria that went through the galley window, which I normally keep open. I've never had a problem keeping the galley win uh, uh, window open, uh, but it, it, it just totally doused that part of the cabin, doused me, and it doused the um, uh, the thing that controls the propane, I guess, uh, the propane switch. Uh, I forget the name of it. Anyways, the propane switch did not work for three days until it dried out, and then it suddenly started working before I got to Darwin. So I didn't have, like, propane for several days uh, because of this. And uh, the stove just wouldn't work because uh, the uh, solenoid switch, is what it's called, was, not, was soaked and it needed to dry out. It would not work. And... Uh, I thought that was as bad as it get, but that was kind of more typical of what came after. So it was just like the the other part of the RFR uh, you know, it's just kind of these boarding waves on the beam. Uh, I had to, you know, I also normally don't need to keep the boards in in the, uh, you know, on in the companion way to to keep out water, right? And then and I did need to do that. I also needed to keep the companionway locked, that the top of the companionway needed to be closed. Otherwise, I was going to get water um, on the quarter berth. I typically have been sleeping in the quarter berth, but in this passage, I moved to the the, the lee berth, uh, which was the, the starboard side, side berth, because my companionway berth got doused with water in, in, in several directions, right? Um so it's just giving you an idea of how difficult the passage was compared to typically we don't have water problems. We don't have boarding waves. We don't have, we're not getting splashed with salt water. Typically downwind, this is beam reaching. Um, and, you know, you think that this is probably like the worst of the passage, 
but it really wasn't. I I was also soloing. Uh, you know, I think that was going okay. I didn't feel like I was getting super tired or anything. Um, so I basically from March and Bar I did two days, uh, and then I uh, anchored at one place, and that was probably a mistake. Let me see if I can bring it up on the map where I anchored. Um, it, I think it was on Croker Island, right before Croker Island. Yeah, yeah, it was Croker Island that I anchored on because I made the the decision that I could not get around the Cogburn Peninsula uh, uh, and to Cape Dawn uh, by daylight because I would like, if I sailed through the night, I would get there too early and then I wouldn't be able to stop. And so I it was like, I'm going to, I'm going to anchor on Croker Island, and that was quite nice. There was nothing wrong with that. It just, the timing didn't work out. And so I had a, I think I had a, it was, I anchored, but I didn't anchor for very long. So I had like a 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. departure from Croker Island, and, and then there's this Cogburn Peninsula. Now, I got to say, there's a lot of things that are that I think is wrong with Australia, right? I think that, that it's like overregulated. Its government is overbearing. It's too big. And they don't actually do the kind of basic nuts and bolts that government are supposed to do is build roads, you know, have good waterways, right? So one of the things that, you know, besides not having paved roads to the most of the places in the Northern Territory or most of Australia, which allowed them to do their Chinese COVID policies and keep people from going from state to state. Uh, they also don't have, um, they, they don't have like basic canals. So um, this uh, Coburn Peninsula is like a mangrove peninsula. It's really low. I mean, it's not like, it's not like going through the mountains that, you know, that they had to do for the Panama Canal or anything like that. There's no mountains there. We're talking about mangroves. So we're talking about, you know, 10-foot depths, right? You know, making... So Louisiana, my state of 4 million people, probably has like 100 different canals. Some of them are private. Some of them are, most Many of them were publicly made. Uh, it's a very low-lying place. It's a swampy place, just like the Croker Peninsula. And the, the canals are built all through it. For the, for, sometimes for pleasure craft, but mostly for commercial craft, right? In the pursuance of greater profits, industry, more fishing, etc., right? Uh, more oil exploration, right? And, uh, you know... If on this Croker Peninsula, I had to go way north to get to a place, Darwin, which was way south. And had they just bothered to build a, a three-mile canal, because there's, there's already rivers going through it, it's not high, we're just going through the mangroves. Had they built three-mile canal through the mangroves, that would allow all the commercial fishing boats that they have. Commercial fishing is probably one of the biggest industries here in Darwin. Uh, that would have, you know, uh, allowed all the pleasure boats a much easier access into the Van Diemen Gulf. But instead, we have to go like 100 miles around. We have to go way north. And then we have to go through this awful, terrible 
Dundas straight. This is really the most absurd straight I've ever been in. Okay, so I have to give you the story of the Dundas straight. Uh, but the thing is, going around the Croker Peninsula, when I went... Um, so after Croker Island to the Coburn Peninsula, right, I had a pretty good sailing angle. and My sailing angle got worse, and then I had to motor... Right, and then I was kind of under the influence of these crazy tides that they have around Darwin, uh, Greater Darwin, because we're still like over a hundred miles from Darwin right here. Uh, but they've got these, you know, eight meter tides, so they have these twenty foot tides at least, you know, in in like really um, as much as twenty foot tides, but maybe even more. Uh, and so, what I did was I. The tides were such that they slowed me down motoring into this Cokeburn, this Dundas Strait, and then the Van Diemen Gulf. And so my plan was to go into the Van Diemen Gulf and keep on sailing through the night because, uh, you know, I, I had done that. I had already anchored, and I felt fine, and so that was what I was going to do. But unfortunately, you know... You think if you have a current, that a current is going to benefit you sometimes and um, penalize you other times. But a lot of times with current, especially if you have a lot of wind, say this 25-knot south wind, sustained south wind, then currents will actually mean sometimes it's impossible, other times it's impossible, and sometimes it's passable, right? That it's not, you don't ever get the benefit of the current. So when the current is running strong and you have wind against current, you have square waves, crosshatch seas, and you can't go anywhere, right? Because the seas, even though you have the, quote, favorable current, which is what I had, you cannot get into the Van Diemen Gulf, right? So my first attempt was like four o'clock in the afternoon, right? I was about, about, an hour or two after slack water, right? So the the sea, we had the, the current going into the Van Diemen Gulf, the winds going out of the Van Diemen Gulf, I'm motoring. That current did not benefit me as much as it hurt me because it created this crosshatch sea, square waves, could not go anywhere, right? And the boat is shaking like it's never shaken before, so I ended up having to to anchor off Cape Don there, uh, which is not a bad anchorage, but it's, you know, it was not my choice uh, to do. So I did that. And, you know, I kind of thought I had, and I had tried to time the current. I just got a little behind the schedule. Um, and, and that was impossible. And indeed, I was with the current. I was at, with, you know, at, at close to the greatest favorable current there was and it was impossible right so i anchor off cape don and i'm like all right this is not working trying to time the current so i'm just gonna go i'm gonna get up when i get up like 11 o'clock or i get up like nine o'clock i sleep in and uh i you know i i'm up anchor by 10 o'clock trying to motor in uh this is another wind against current situation or no this this was not wind against current this was wind with current so we had an adverse current and a south wind, right? Which is a prevailing wind. 
and I'm trying to go south into the Van Diemen Gulf. Did not work. You know, I could not make one degree of progress south at one point. And so what I ended up having was I just had to float back into the anchorage uh, from Cape Don. And I, you know, I decided, you know, I called people. The, there was like one person from the anchorage who ended up going through the Dundas Strait that day that responded, but that was it. That was the only people that responded. Uh, just to get advice, because, you know, I just have this one anchoring guide for that I picked up in Cairns talking about this. I've not, I only had one little bit of access as I was rounding uh, at the, the end of the Gulf of Carpentaria. I have no idea why there was a 3G signal there. But I had not had internet uh, since Cape Wessel. Uh, and I didn't have internet there. There's no internet to be had because there's no people in Australia. Uh, and the. So I, you know, I was asking for advice from them. I, you know, I could text Jen or call Jen, although the texting was more effective because the satellite phone calls are so bad uh, on the Iridium network. Um, but that was it, you know, and, you know, I've been like that and we're really talking about day seven here, right? Um, cause I, you know, I, I, three days across the Gulf of Carpentaria, there's a little more days across the RF4C to get to this Cogburn Peninsula. Now we're at the, the foot of the Van Diemen Gulf and, and we can't actually get into the Van Diemen Gulf because it's done to straight is impossible if you don't have a motor that can go eight knots, right? And my motor's going to go five knots if all is well, uh, but it's not going to go eight knots. Uh, and so it, uh, it is just... Res <laughs> so I just floated around waiting for slack water, and I wanted to be early for slack water since I was late for slack water, so I floated around waiting for slack water to come, and I was able to get through the Dundas Strait. Um, the the other boat, I forget their name. I got it somewhere in my log, uh, which was a big catamaran. Also uh, went through at that same time. And then my strategy was to go due south, right? So luckily the wind was kind of kind of died down for me there. So good luck on my side. Uh, and I just motored south for about 25 miles until the current turned. I would have motored south further. They've got these things called, they've got these whirlpools they have here on the charts. They say they're eddies. They call them eddies, but they're marked as whirlpools on the chart. I was trying not to hit those, but I was just mostly motoring south. And then, you know, until I got to the point where I was only motoring at one knot because the, the current had turned like at nine o'clock. So you get six hours between slack water and the next slack water. Right, so by the time you get like eight hours, then you've got the adverse current or something against you, and then, uh, then I was able to do a beam reach into this thing called the North Channel, north of the Varan Islands, and the Varan Islands have a lot of current on them too. I also had the engine die once while I was motoring south, um, and I was able to 
get it to go again by bleeding it and, uh, you know, putting more uh, fuel in the primary filter and then bleeding the secondary and the, the bleed screw. And then, uh, then we had, uh, let's see. So we're, we're sailing on this beam reach in the Varan Islands. We know that this is, is very much a, a function of the current. Uh, it starts out that I am in the North Channel that is like favorable current, then slack water, and then it's adverse current. And in the adverse current, I was worried that I was going to be blown, uh, pushed out of the North Channel if I did not get through it quickly enough, right? So I'm putting up all the sail that I can without killing the autopilot. Um, but at the same time, I, you know, I turn on the motor because I do not, so I, I know exactly based on our knot meter, how fast I can get to hit hull speed. And if I go past that, I'm going to hit hull speed. And then we're just, you know, it's just the boat's going to heal. It's not going to go any faster. It's just going to be more unruly. Right. And so if I put up more sail than I already have, it's going to get unruly a, a high percentage of the time and you'll lose control. Uh, but if I had the motor on, then I can just like throttle up, throttle down, right? Because I'm scared to death that the current is going to get to a point where I'm actually pushed back. And so all the progress that we made throughout the night was going to get uh, messed up. And so I was able to get through the North Channel of the Varan Islands, which was also really, really scary. So number one. Melville Island is um, this Van Diemen Gulf, right? This is big uninhabited island, Melville Island. Maybe there's some Aboriginal communities, but you're basically screwed if you crash on Melville Island. You know, Border Force ain't going to save you because uh, they're not a life-saving force. They're just for harassing tourists. And then uh, the... Uh, so, you know, you're just basically screwed. So you do not want to... It, Melville Island was a lee shore, so I wanted to motor south as far as I could because I want to get so that I had the best angle to get clear Melville Island, which I did, right? Then I'm just trying this this uh, close haul beam reach to get through the, the southern point of Melville Island, right? Uh, so that's what I'm doing, right? But I'm afraid that the current's going to push me back because the tide was switching, right? And the current was switching. Um and it was. It was slowing me down, right? We were going. We start out going seven knots. We go in six knots, four knots, three knots, two knots, right? Uh, luckily, we didn't go below two knots, uh, and we got through the channel. But in the course of that, then the engine got really screwed up. I mean, it just would would not motor. And so, once you get out of the channel, um. Darwin is due south, right? So Darwin is, I mean, I'll look at this map, but I think it was like 40 miles due south almost, right? It's not, there's not, a, there's no, okay, it's like 30 miles south from the Northwest Channel, right? So you're close, you're like close, but it, it is not sailable except like tacking, right? And we're not going to make very much tacking, right? We're going to make very, very poor progress tacking. Um, so it was originally like, the other thing was there was no wind, right? So that was very favorable, right? No wind. Awesome. Right. That was probably one of the reasons why I was get through the North channel because they're relatively lowish winds when the tide turns or something like that. But 
It also means you can't tack and no wind, right? You're not going to, that's not going to get you south, right? That's not going to get you against the wind. Um, if there's no wind, you can't, you can't tack. You can't go with the wind. Uh, and so I probably bled the engine over a dozen times to just get a few miles at a time. You know, I got a couple stretches where I got, it went hours and the last stretch was like three and a half hours, right? And uh, I got in there. So even though I got through the channel like a 10, I didn't get into the anchorage until 9. Uh, and uh, I entered an unfamiliar harbor at night. I don't recommend doing that. Um, had I had any control over the situation, I wouldn't have done that. But I didn't feel like there was any other option uh, given the situation I was in. It wasn't like I was like trying to accelerate things or anything like that. Um, you know, like trying to just like stand off at night, I, I could have been blown into the Beagle Channel, into, you know, the Indian Ocean or Bathurst Island or Melville Island. So it, it was, there was no, there was no good option, you know, given that I was having so much trouble getting that last 30 miles. Uh, but I did anchor there in Fanny Bay. So that was the fourth, late on the fourth, um... And then, uh, late, uh, you know, and I just say, you know, I anchored in like kind of a, a spot where there's nobody was, but there, you know, I think there's a lot of, there were a lot of boats that were anchored there that did not have anchor lights on. So uh, I totally don't recommend going into unfamiliar Harbor at night. Um, but I luckily had chosen a spot that was not popular and uh i saw a few boats that had ais including the one that i went into the van diemen gulf with uh and i kind of avoided them and that was a good that was a good strategy and i didn't have any problems uh it was not like the most comfortable of anchorages i would say fanny bay uh in in um uh darwin it was a little it was it was really cold and it was also just really windy and, and a little rough. Uh, and, and the, the, you would also, because of the current situation, you might be beam on to the waves and stuff like that. And the wind, uh, because of the current. Uh, so it, it, it's not, not really fun. Uh, as I explained in the last podcast, you know, they, they target or they target foreigner, foreign boats, Right, so if you're a Queensland boat, you don't have to comply with their regulations. But if you have ever sailed to a foreign country, you have the the Northern Territory has to pump ammonia in your boat and have divers inspect it for their absurd regulations that, of course, cost far f more than whatever problem they're trying to address. Uh, but you know that's the Australian government. Instead of building roads and canals. They have expensive bureaucracies, uh, and I say expensive to the Australian people uh, that do almost nothing and, uh, you know, just basically stand in the way of people, you know, uh, spending money, basically. So I'm not allowed to enter a marina, but at least they were nice enough to get me in that same day. Uh, probably because I was the only one there. They had nothing else to do. And 
so you have to dock at this dock outside of Cullen Bay Marina. And then the divers uh, got there. But the good thing was that I got to dock, right? And I didn't have to get out the dinghy to land. And so that they did that in the morning there on the 5th. Jan and Sophie were arriving on the afternoon of the 5th. So we got that inspection. They, of course, didn't find any mussels. Like I told you, there's no mussels on the boat. You know, the boat's only been in the water. Like, at that point, had only been in the water for, like, six weeks. Six weeks, you know. It's not going to have any muscles on it, right? It did, you know. He was like, well, you've got grass on the boat. There are some, there are some seagrass. You know, we need a new bottom paint. But we haven't been in the water that long. And so it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Um, so, anyways... So they forced us to pump ammonia in our hoses, and they didn't find any mussels. And then I was allowed to go into a marina. And so that next day, I was allowed to stay there overnight. So we got that free dockside tie. And Jan and Sophie were able to walk onto the boat because I took an Uber there and met them. And then, and then the next day, we went into Tipperary Marina. Now, I just can't emphasize how important the tides are around here in Darwin and how adverse the winds. I, you know, if I had it to do over again, I do not think I would, I would, I would go into Darwin. Just, I wouldn't do it. Uh, I, I think if, I think if I could find the boatyard, I think I did find a boatyard in Indonesia. I think that would have been better. Sail to PNG, sail to the Torres Strait, go to Indonesia, because, um, Darwin is just not downwind. It's not a beam reach. It's not a. It's not. Um, it's not close hauled. Darwin is upwind, right? That last hundred miles to Darwin is upwind and up current, and it is awful. And even in Darwin, currents are awful, right? So you, like I say, with the currents, if you got. Wind against current, and the current is favorable, the current is with you, it's impossible. Uh, if you've got uh, wind with current, and you're going against the current, you're going very slow, or it's impossible, right? So there's a lot of situations that are impossible that in no other places that did not have such huge tides would be possible. It's, it's very, I can't recall a time where I was going like eight knots, right? I can recall times where, oh, I got lucky and I was going five knots, right? But it's not like the current helps you. It, it, it just really only hurts you and you just have to be very, it's just one more risk factor you have to work into. And so that was, so... The way they do things here in Darwin is that the, all the marinas have locks. That they are they are not accessible at all stages of the tide, right? So uh, you cannot go in at low tide. You have to go in at mid-tide to high tide, something like that. And, you know, where we were from Cullen Bay to Tipperary, we have to go around a, a semicircle or more. Right, and so we've got bad wind angles or tide angles, right? So as we go around 
leave Cullen Bay and go around the south side of Darwin, right? And the ships and the Ferris wheel and the the stuff they have there. Uh, that that was wind against current, right? So we have south southeast wind. Current was um, coming in. Right, so that was wind against current. So even though we had a favorable current, uh, we're going two knots, right? We're getting smacked by the square waves and engine stalls twice, right? You know, and I, you know, I call the marina. I'm like, you know, what's the option if if we lose our engine, right? Is there is there a towing service? Is somebody we can call for a tow? And now they're like, well, you, maybe the police will tow you, right? So anyways, we were able to get that engine working, um, and, and as we rounded the corner and headed north, right, then we had, we were not going into the wind anymore, and we didn't have wind against current, and I think we were getting closer to slack water too, and so that was okay, we motored in the marina, that was okay. Temporary marina is fine, uh, it's a nice place, uh, there's Cullen Bay, there's a bay view, I think Francis Bay is only for commercial shipping, right? Uh, so there's basically three yacht marinas out there. Um, and all of them, you have to lock in. You have to arrange times with the lock master. Um, and, you know, it's kind of a, a new experience for me. I can't recall. I think they had lock marinas uh, in Panama City, but we only stayed at Balboa Yacht Club when after we went through the Panama Canal. Um, there's no equivalent of Balboa Yacht Club here. I mean, there are yacht clubs, but I don't think they offer uh, moorings to transients or uh, tr kind of like transient services the way that uh, wonderful Balboa Yacht Club does. So anyways, so that was it. Uh, Jan, has been, Jan and Sophie were here for about 10 days. Um, to be honest, I don't think there's really that much to do in Darwin. Uh, and I don't think there's much to do in the Northern Territories. Like, we went to, like, a zoo-like place that lets you pet baby alligators. That was nice to pet the baby alligator or crocodile. Um, I did see one kangaroo in the wild to his roadkill. And I saw some in the, the thing. But I've never... I guess they don't have koalas up north here. I haven't seen any koalas. Uh, and then... Uh, you know, I I saw a I saw like two or three turtles swimming by Contango uh, during the offshore passage from Horn Island. I saw one sea snake, one banded sea or one banded snake that was swimming right by Contango, like over a hundred miles from shore in any direction. So I don't know. He just lives at sea, I guess. I don't know, but he was really close to the. He was also really close to the surface. That's why I saw him. Anyways, super creepy. Um, I, you know, so the last two summers, right, I did RVing in the U.S., right, the U.S. West. Um, my understanding of the kind of like the RV, and, and I read you the first summer book, the, the book about my first summer travels, which was COVID Road Trip. Uh, and then I had a really good time the second summer, too. Uh, if you want to see kind of the, the mountains that I climbed in the second summer, they're on the, the Slow Boat Sailing Channel. Uh, and I'm probably going to post a, a lot of videos for Season 5, probably 
my my new take on the videos is that I'm not gonna they're not gonna have many clips. They're just gonna have me talking about the the voyage, similar to what I'm doing right now. Uh, and so the I would say I the RVing scene is really big here, but it's also very different from the U.S. So in the U.S. People have RVs which they sleep in, right? Uh, caravans which they sleep in, right? They're like... Uh, here it seems like they have like four-wheel drive vehicles that they could pitch a tent from. That it may have a, extra fuel, it may have some sort of propane cooking facilities, uh, it may have, uh, you know, uh, extra water on it. Uh, and it's very much made for roads that are very poorly tended, but it is n doesn't actually have sleeping facilities on it, so you would have to pitch a tent somewhere to to sleep at night, right? That's the RVing scene here, is because they they don't build any paved roads here, so there's mostly just dirt roads that are untended in the middle of nowhere. Like the next town is a thousand fourteen hundred kilometers 1500 kilometers alice springs to the south in the northern territory so there's not really any big towns besides darwin there's not even small towns besides darwin uh if you go very far out um so that's the rving scene versus the i i would say i mean the other thing is that i mean i think the u.s west is just more beautiful it's it's just like the mountains are bigger the canyons are bigger, the rivers are bigger. It's just, it's just amazingly beautiful. The National Park Service, I think, does a great job. Uh, we did visit a park. I was pleasantly surprised at how good it was. Um, I forget the name of the park. We did see like a couple of the waterfalls there, and it was, it was nice. It was, it was nicely done. Uh, but you know, uh, Australia is just a very low-lying content continent. Period. Uh, so it's not going to have like big mountains, big gorges. Uh, so I, you know, I think that what, going forward, we're gonna we're gonna haul out the boat. We're gonna haul out at one of the facilities here, and then uh, I probably will have some extra time until my flight leaves from Sydney, and so I'll, I'll probably see kind of uh, more of Southern Australia then, because um, I don't think there's a lot to see. I mean, we tried, we tried to go sightseeing. We did a lot of things on the boat too. You know, Janet helped out a lot and it's great to have Sophie here, but it, it, uh, we never left, we never left the Marina after we got into the Marina cause it, that was such an ordeal. Uh, and, and I just can't imagine, I mean, this time of year, maybe different seasons, you could day sail in, in Darwin, but I can't imagine why you would want to have a sailboat in Darwin, to be honest, unless you wanted to sail to Indonesia like I do, right? So I can understand kind of why you'd go to Darwin if you want to sail across the Indian Ocean, right? It It is a little upwind, but it's either you sail out of Darwin or you sail out of uh, Horn, Thursday Island. There's a little more services in Darwin. Maybe you get some more things done uh, and you maybe you don't want to be in Indonesia and have getting things done right then. I can kind of see it. Um, but I, what I can't see is I can't see at least from what I've with 
the prevailing southeast, south winds, the wild currents. Basically, if you go out day sailing from Darwin, you, you, it'll be a nice sail down if the wind, the current's not against you. Uh, if you're not, if you don't have square waves from the current, but then it'd be like impossible to get back unless you just want a, a pound and motor, right? Uh, and so it's not, it's not like you know day sailing and like Pontchartrain or anything, you know, uh, or any other body of water. Usually, you know, it's you get kind of maybe variable winds or no winds or something like that that it's possible to get back. You go out three miles, you go about three miles back, it's about the same distance each way. No, it's going to be first three miles is in a half hour, and the second three miles is going to be the rest of your life, and you're going to float out in the Beagle Gulf and going to need a rescue from somebody. I'm not sure where that's going to come from. So I, I, I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't get the, the whole idea of having a sailboat here in Darwin uh, in terms of like the day sailing aspect. I mean, the, the day sailing or small coastal cruising aspect of like having in Lake Pontchartrain or having it uh, in Florida or having your boat in in um, Maryland or the Chesapeake, you know, I, it's just, it's not like that. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not even, you know, it's not like the, 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 uh, San Francisco Bay. It's it's more like you're kind of taking your life in your own hands. You're not going to go back. I mean, maybe uh, San Juan, uh, the Straits of Juan de Fuca or something, or maybe it's similar to that. I don't know. Those crazy Vancouverites or whatever. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't know that sailing territory. I'm just saying from what I experienced here, I think it's really it, it it now maybe this is the wrong season, right? We're in the winter where the prevailing trades are at. You're gonna have more variable winds outside of the winter season, and maybe that's you know when everybody goes out sailing. Anyways, I'm Linus Wilson. Uh, we're gonna hopefully post some videos on the Slow Boat Sailing Channel. We'll come back next month in August 2022. Probably continue with the Slow Boat to Cuba the first season uh, of slow boat sailing and uh, finish up or get closer to finishing up that audiobook in the next podcast. Thanks for listening. Have some fun on the water. Bye-bye. And I want to say thanks to all the folks who support the podcast on patreon.com slash slow boat sailing.